All right, welcome to the RSPCast. We are continuing our 2020 projection series. Dwayne McFarlane, welcome back. We're going to have a fun show today because it's basically, um, I don't know, it's the team It's the team that was as versus the team that is, I guess, the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to profile <laughs> half of the NFC North. Should be a great show. Yeah, absolutely. These are two teams that I'm very, very excited, you know, about discussing. I think, uh, you know, obviously we've in one case we've got a, a coaching change, right? Kevin Stefanski coming in for Cleveland. The other team, we've got an offense that really took the league by storm, you know, um, doing some things that other teams just weren't ready for or, or not staffed to appropriately handle. Um, so, yeah, I think this uh, this is probably the show that I'm the most excited about so far, you know, this preseason. Well, heck, they're, they're two of my three favorite or two of my four favorite teams in the league. So, and by far, probably my two favorites. Um, so this is absolutely a fun one for me too. Let's start off with the Baltimore Ravens. Certainly they're one of the hottest teams in the, in the league. And, you know, you have that record season with Lamar Jackson, um, in terms of the personal best for him, um, you know, and, and the fact that he was able to not only be a terrific runner, but, you know, more importantly, he was such an efficient passer. Um, and we really got to see what was kind of the promise that he showed at Louisville um, come to life and come to tr fruition in terms of what he did in the pocket, um, how he was in terms of tight windows in the middle of the field. He pretty much played the way we talked about him last year, which was, um, you know, he's very good in the middle of the field. He's very good under pressure, but outside the numbers, that's where his accuracy dwindles. And they pretty much, you know, crafted the offense. So he didn't have to do a ton of that. So, you know, but, you know, his ability to run his threat as a play action passer and a pocket passer really opened things up for the run game in terms of Mark Ingram, who had a career year with 15 total touchdowns. You know, now Ingram is at a crossroads because he has, what, a couple more years or maybe a year left on his a year left. Yeah, a year left. And they drafted who I thought was the best back in the best rookie back in the in the draft class, you know, one, two with Jonathan Taylor. And that's J.K. Dobbins. And the Ravens felt like they got the best back in the class too because he reminded them of the same guy he reminded me, which is Ray Rice. So you get a Ray Rice type of back um, in J.K. Dobbins with more speed, and that's going to be an interesting development in terms of how Ingram and Dobbins work together. And then you look at this receiving core, and it's like Marquise Brown showed so much to begin the year, um, you know, but he did it coming off of a foot injury that really wasn't you know, he wasn't fully ready. Um, he wasn't even at the weight he wanted to be at. He played at like 168 pounds and he wants to play in that 180 range. So he was underweight. He was still not probably in optimum shape and definitely not in optimum physical condition with his foot. And he still lit things up at times, you know, as a rookie. Then you had, you know, Miles Boykin, a, a personal favorite of mine who played really well in the preseason, but you know, two things didn't factor well for him. One is that in the, he was kind of the opposite of um, Lamar Jackson. Like they were the, they didn't compliment each other at all because where Miles Boykin was excellent, which was on the perimeter um, running those timing routes where Jackson isn't great at being able to target him. He struggled in terms of knowing when to look and anticipate his quarterback in the middle of the field where he had some issues you know, if you talk to guys like the Russell Street Report, who are a, a nice outfit in Baltimore, who do analysis of their team, 
you know, they, they talked in their film study about Boykin just having issues being able to anticipate um, when to settle down in a zone, where to attack the football, where to keep his eyes in terms of, um, you know, working with Jackson on scramble drills and, and being ready at all times. And so that was kind of an issue. And then you have like guys like, you know, Willie Sneed, who's still a nice veteran, but they added James Prochet, who seems to be a Willie Sneed-like player. They added Devin Duvernay, who seems to me to be like a combination of Marquise Brown and Danny Woodhead, um, who, you know, could be a really intriguing player for them. And so you wonder if Boykin's going to have a shot to really develop in there. So that's an intriguing wide receiver core that ties into the development we need to talk about with Jackson, if there's going to be any additional development. And of course, the probably the best receiving the best receivers in the core or the most targeted at least are going to be the tight ends and they lost you know Hayden Hurst to Atlanta which is going to be an interesting discussion when we get to that someday um but Mark Andrews you know certainly made good as a as one of the top move tight ends in terms of production and they still have the sturdy Nick Boyle who's not going to do much for you fantasy wise but he might give you a little bit more because I don't because Jake Breland to me is like Nick Boyle light probably. So there, it looks like if they're only going to go with, they may go with two tight ends in this, in this unit, but only one of them is going to be getting a ton of catches. If you ask me, which means again, the receiving core and the running backs seem to have a little bit more on them this year, maybe in, in terms of a development. So, you know, that's kind of my overview of what, where the Ravens were, what the questions are ahead. What are your thoughts statistically about, you know, the scheme from last year and, and in terms of how you're setting them up to project them this year? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on a lot of great stuff around the personnel and some of the things that, you know, they're doing, um, you know, even last year during the season, you know, some of the moves they made. I mean, if you look at their secondary, um, you know, wow. How would you, I mean, where's the weakness, Matt? <laughs> I mean, Marlon Humphreys. Uh, you got uh, Marcus Peters now, you know, that you bring over from, you know, the Rams. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, in the secondary, you've got Earl Thomas and, and you know, as your backstop, you know, essentially. Um, and then you still have Jimmy Smith. Uh, they're getting back. Um, gosh, now I'm forgetting his name. But they have a slot corner that they love that they're getting back this year yes. that was hurt. So it's Young. like, yeah, I mean, if this team – gets you in a bind with what they can do from a time of possession and how much they can shut down any kind of comeback uh, with their secondary. It's just, I mean, they're really built well. I mean, I think it's a team that they've done a lot of things right. You know, as far as their scheme goes, you know, I mean, last year, I mean, this is crazy. They passed the ball 42% of the time and they ran the ball 58%. Yes. Like that, that, <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah, that says AFC North like nothing, nothing else, right, Matt? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 amazing. I mean, it really, you know, Greg Roman, we talked about this last year. Really, he had taken over as the play caller towards the end of 18. Basically, once Lamar Jackson went in, it really wasn't Marty Morningwick's offense anymore. The whole thing had changed, and we talked about this last year. And a lot of that really, you know, just it came through. 
Um, but they were able to, you know, I think last year I had them projected at 50% pass and 50% run, or maybe slightly over 51-49, which is very aggressive. I mean, 42-58 is insane. But if we think about it, it really resembles, it really resembled, you know, Greg Roman's 49er teams, you know, um, you know, of 2011 through 2014, you know, it was run heavy. They had a running quarterback in Colin Kaepernick, who's, uh, you know, not as good as what Lamar Jackson is, but they did a lot of the same thing, you know, even back then, you know, they were running the ball more than they were throwing the ball. Um, and so it, it's, it's not like this is a new trend for Greg Roman. Um, you know, it's also not necessarily a, a, a really new trend, you know, for John Harbaugh. He likes to have that balance, you know, for a few years, they went away from it, you know, because they had invested in Joe Flacco and they, you know, they, they got really pass happy. That didn't work well. And so I think they're back to a spot where Harbaugh's comfortable, you know, um, you know, even in neutral, um, you know, in, in scripts where, you know, you're basically tied, it was 44% pass and 55% and 56% run. So, I mean, this is what they want to do. So that's excluding, um, you know, um, basically you got to be within three points and that excludes two minute warnings. So that's basically how I come up with a neutral script. So 44, 56, uh, you know, pass to run. Um, you know, they led for 61% of their plays. That's insane. Their average margin of victory was 15.6. I mean, they were literally destroying everyone. So I think the question, you know, this year, you know, we know Roman historically runs the ball more than almost all coordinators leading tight or trailing. He doesn't care what the game script does. But I think the question, you know, Matt, is how much can other teams figure out, you know, or can they retool? You know, because the league does eventually catch up on these things. And, and the Ravens offense really put people in a, in a huge bind last year. And I think it will still be problematic this year, but can teams close the gap on that some? You know, and I think they've made investments elsewhere, like, you know, the secondary, so that as that may happen, they're still equipped, right, you know, to, to, to be a really competitive team. So, um, you know, as far as the passing game goes, obviously, it's an efficient passing game. You know, when you're passing that little, it's going to be really about, you know, what you're doing on a yards per attempt basis. Um, you know, and again, this is another thing with Roman that's not new, um, you know, uh, Four out of seven years as a play caller, his teams have eclipsed 7.5 yards per attempt, which is really good. Um, his offenses have topped 5% touchdowns per attempt in three of seven seasons where he's calling plays. Um, he's typically more of a yards in the air than a yards after catch guy. You know, he's always 57% plus, so he's putting air under the ball. Um, it's not these little, not a ton of dink and dunk. They do some nice scheme things, and they'll do some things for Marquise Brown, et cetera. But it's really more about, you know, getting air under the ball. Um, you know, they don't really target the running backs in the passing game much. You know, we'll talk about that more in a minute. Part of that is, you know, you have a quarterback that takes off, you know, and sees a better alley to, you know, yardage versus dumping it down to the running back. Um, you know, if you look at the running backs overall, um, you know, it's really poorly. Not, I wouldn't want to say poorly, just not used very much. But the other thing going on is typically if you use your tight ends a ton, that's a trade-off versus your runners. A lot of teams that use their tight ends a lot don't use their runners as much and vice versa. If you're a heavy run passing to the running back, um, especially if you've got running running backs that get downfield, um, you know, a little bit more. And that's not always the case, but it's it's definitely a trend that you see. Um, so, I mean, last year, though, Matt, 8.4%, you know, is their touchdowns per attempt. I mean, that's, that's insane. Um, like you said, they love the tight ends, you know, ran 11 personnel 47% of the time, 12, 18% of the time, 22, 15% of the time, 21, 10% of the time. So basically, if you look at their 12, their 22, and their 21, so for people that, you know, maybe this is new, um, you know, the, the 12 is two tight ends on the field with two receivers, 22 is two running backs and two tight ends, 15% in that set 
you don't see that. That's not a set that you see very often in the league. And they ran it 15% of the time. They went and back 20, to the 70s and 80s there. They did, man. It's It's just, but, you know, they had great personnel to do it with. And again, it was working and they were they were playing from ahead and definitely helps, you know. So it will be interesting to see, does that change a little bit with Hayden Hurst, you know, being gone? You know, because really, if you look at what they've done, they added, like you said, they added DuVernay last year you know they added boykins and they added hollywood um you know so and they've, they've got some other receivers already on the team they they could go a little more 11 personnel this year than what they did last year um i, I think that's going to be something you know interesting to see um you know so i mean that's that's the basic overview i mean they they destroyed everyone so i'm really interested to see how much can other teams catch up i think that's they're still going to be a run heavy team no matter what I don't think other teams can catch up enough based on how their roster is constructed. But at the same time, they could be pushed to be a little more balanced, right? Like maybe more of a 48, 52, something like that. So, and which is where I've got them, Matt. You know, so, I mean, Vegas has them as a, at 11 and a half wins on the season, which is tied with Kansas City for tops in the league. So Vegas obviously thinks very highly of them. They won 14 games last year. Um, so, I mean, if you look at a team that's going to be winning and we know what they like to do, they're still probably going to run more than they're going to pass. So it'll just be interesting to see how much. Yeah, I think that's the probably the most salient point that, that we can make is that how are defenses going to adjust and what does that look like? Because from a field perspective, not even just looking at the numbers, but how the field matches the numbers that you just provided, when you watch Lamar Jackson keep the football and run i mean for the past two years i keep hearing everyone especially commentators and media say he's you know he can't take too much punishment he's got to you know he's got to learn how not to take punishment and i'm sitting here watching the games and i'm going um when does he get hit because when <laughs> he's i watch really smart <laughs> yeah because when i watch these option plays and where he keeps the keeps it he has like not only because of his speed, but because of how well it's blocked in the design of the play, he's running for like seven to 15 yards untouched and exits the boundary. And occasionally he gets shoved out of bounds. Occasionally he'll take a hit, but it's not like Cam Newton full backing his way through NFL defenses. I mean, he's like, I have never seen a quarterback gain so many yards and not get touched or, or basically get feather dusted you know, at the end of plays. And so, yeah, and he's throwing in the spin move, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's rarely him running inside or in the middle of the field. When he does, it's like a huge play. And he's usually like very, he usually gets a, a, a massive gain and he's dragged down from behind. But when they run outside, which I think is the most frequent things that he does is outside the tackle box. He's barely touched on any of those plays. He's getting like easy chunk games. And it's like until defenses can stop that, and that's going to be the key. Like when, and I think that's what defenses will be attacking first. They're going to be like, we got to stop those easy games in the middle of the field, which is easier said than done because then they just ram Mark Ingram or J.K. Dobbins up the middle behind those awesome, you know, interior linemen that they had. Now, Marshall Yonda's gone, which is going to be a big impact. Um, to that team the fact that he retired but still they guard is reasonably decent enough to replace in terms of the run game that's usually the strength of pretty much every guard who blocks so you know yonda will be missed but i have a feeling that 
You know, he'll be missed more on some of those outside plays where he can get out upfield and outside a little bit better than maybe some of the other guys can that will try to replace him. But that said, it's going to be hard for defenses to stop that outside play without giving up what happens on the inside. If they're successful with that, then I think you are going to see more 11 personnel. And it seems like the way you stated it very well, they're preparing to have to do that. Like they're they're trying to say, all right, let's play some chess here. While, you know, we're not going to play checkers with our offense here. Let's let's play a little chess and think ahead. And and so there's that in, in mind. I have this team starting off, you know, with Lamar Jackson. I have the offense um, passing 43.5% of the time, which is up a, a percent and a half from last year. So maybe it'll go up more because of what I just stated, but because it was so easy for Jackson last year, it, I, I'm kind of waiting for defenses to prove that they can stop this because it's not like Jackson is bad in the pocket. So, you know, usually you have quarterbacks who have certain kinds of deficiencies with reading the field in a way that Jackson hasn't shown when you when they're able to run outside. So, you know, Jackson may not be a complete quarterback in terms of what he can do outside the numbers, but he's a but when it comes to playing in the pocket, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So, I have Jackson right now um not much different than last year. I have him at, you know, 421 attempts. 271 completions for a 64.4% rate. I have him completing 7.59 yards per attempt, 3194 in terms of yardage, 32 touchdowns at 7.60%. Um, still a massive number there. Um, nine interceptions, 0.21%, which is still pretty darn low. Um, pretty much like last year, because I think that's what he had last year. Um, so did Josh Allen, who only threw for 3,000 yards and 58%, by the way. Um, and then uh, rushing attempts of 155 for 980 um, and seven touchdowns. I haven't changed much from last year in terms of what he did. I think I've lowered the touchdown value a little bit. And, and that's probably the biggest change for him for last year. What about you? Where do you see Lamar Jackson? Yeah, real quick on the team, I've got them at 48% pass and 52% run. So I still have them heavier pass than run. I'm just baking in, you know, them coming back to the norm just a little bit. Yeah. But, I mean, if you look historically at the league over the last 15 years, that's still very aggressive, you know, as far as, <laughs> you know. Ball. Um, yeah, yeah, because, I mean – you know, random things that we can't always predict a ball bouncing a wrong way, a ball bouncing up off of a receiver's hands that turns into, you know, a pick say, unfortunately on three first drives. And that's just the way it lands right during the season. Then all of a sudden the Ravens get behind in a game and they may have to play it a little bit differently. And then, you know, it, it can change the whole outcome of the way a game, you know, works out. So, I mean, there are just these random things, you know, that can, that can cause a team to not get to execute completely on the strategy that it's want that it wants, which I think they'd still be very happy with a split like that. But I've got them at 1,025 plays, um, you know, so it's still a really good pace. Um, so that's 492 passes and 533 runs. As far as uh, Lamar Jackson goes, you know, I mean, it's 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 like you said, um, you know, his accuracy, you know, his his pinpoint accuracy, he ranked five of 35. 
you know, so the, the number of throws that he's making that are literally right where it needs to be for the receiver. Um, what's interesting is even though he had that, you know, and now this is using pro football focuses quarterback annual where they chart, you know, all of these throws, you know, his, his overall accuracy, which includes pinpoint plus throwing within the frame of the receiver, um, you know, and, and when they grade these, the way it works, if, if they see a defender closing and they think the quarterback's throwing it on purpose into a bad spot, right. To avoid, you know, a pickoff, you know, a batted pass, anything like that. Um, they give the quarterback credit for that. They just, they won't count that, you know, against them. But whenever you look at the, the pinpoint plus the accurate throws to the frame, um, you know, he was minus 2.7, you know, versus the rest, you know, of the league. So, I mean, he was slightly below, a little bit below the league average. And really where he seemed to struggle the most was throwing behind his receivers, 10.9%, uh, which is a plus 4.2% throwing, you know, really it's a catchable ball, the receiver, but the receiver's got to turn back to catch it. So they call that a catchable inaccurate pass where he ranked 32 out of 35. So even though he has that pinpoint, he still seems to be like a little bit, you know, he's either really accurate or, you know, just, just accurate, you know, enough. Now I think, you know, certainly, you know, he can improve, you know, on those things. Um, but if you look at, you know, how he's done from a standpoint, you know, of throwing the ball down the field, um, versus, you know, uh, you know, throwing it in shorter, you know, situations. So behind the line of scrimmage, you know, if you're looking at, you know, either frame or above or better, right. The pinpoint, you know, he was minus 1.6 versus the league zero to nine. He was minus four and 10 to 19 yards. He was minus 4.6. Um, but the offense creates so much room, Matt, for what he does. And then when you look at what he did downfield, which had been kind of an issue a little bit before, he actually was good. I mean, he is 20 plus yards. He was, he was 7.6%, you know, above the NFL average. Now, some of these things, you know, they're smaller sample sizes, so it's not like it's necessarily sticky from year to year. I like to look at it as context, um, you know, just to see, um, you know, does it, does it look like he can overall, you know, make most of the passes, you know, and when we look at his accuracy and we look at, you know, where he finished up, you know, and everything, I think he's, I think he's still fine as a quarterback, you know, this growing, um, and I think he's just got certain things that he's got, you know, to, to try to figure out. Um, but as far as, you know, thinking about his first reads versus his next reads and those things, I mean, he was really pretty good. I mean, that, the NFL average first read, Matt, is 67% of passes. He was 68. Next read, the average is 13%. He was 18%. Check downs on average are 3% or 5%. He was only three, so he doesn't check the ball down. And then the scramble drill, um, you know, he was 1% above the league average, 6% of the time he threw the ball versus 5%. But the thing is when he gets outside, um, you know, of the pocket, you know, and what he can do there as a runner and as a passer, you know, it's just, he's just a lot to deal with, <laughs> you know, I mean, he just puts you in a really tough spot, you know, I mean, because you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, you know, I mean, if you stop the covers to take care of him, he can hit, he can hit it deep. And you do have to worry about him, right? Or if, you know, you say, okay, we're just going to wait back and then I'll get him when he gets to me. No, then he's going to, like what you said earlier, you can barely catch the guy. You know, he's like Barry Sanders or something. So it's it's just a, it's a conundrum big time, you know, for, you know, offenses. But his big time throws from outside the pocket, you know, 7.4% versus the NFL average of 4.7%. That's kind of like Russell Wilson, right, in a way. Um, I mean, I'm not saying he's Russell Wilson, but that's the kind of thing Russell Wilson does. He puts he puts people in a real jam, you know, once he breaks the pocket. So before I think those you, are, Yeah, yeah before go ahead. You yeah. Go, yeah, before you get into your projections, which I definitely want to hear, but I want to add to a couple points you made because they're they're worthwhile 
in terms of like the data is great with that. And I think it matches what you see on the field when you say he throws behind guys over the middle. And that kind of points out to one of the things I mentioned with Miles Boykin, because while you could add with Miles Boykin that, you know, he didn't get a ton of targets. So what about Mark Andrews who, you, you know, who did play particularly well, who plays in the middle of the field or Marquise Brown or some of these other guys. But the point being is that when you're behind guys in the middle of the field, sometimes that has to do with when the player settles into a zone and whether they do that right. And you had two rookies who were playing and often working in the middle of the field. Also, it has to do with um, whether you know how to adjust and expect the ball at a certain point because of the fact that the plays lasted a little longer than you expected as a route runner and you and your quarterback's under pressure and you think to yourself my quarterback's a runner if he hasn't gotten rid of the ball by now i might as well be looking downfield to block or i might as well start to turn upfield to to address that as opposed to keep my eye out for the ball especially because of the fact that he surprises so many people he surprised scott you know i've had russ russ landy's does our scout talk former nfl scout and before we he and i were doing this you know, we had a discussion about Lamar Jackson. He was like, look, I do an analysis on Jackson, on quarterbacks, and his accuracy, the way I chart it, was lower than Jake Locker, which is like among the lowest I've ever seen. He goes, so I'm really worried that if he doesn't get with the right team that wants to develop him, he could really be in a lot of trouble. He goes, but to your point about him, because we were debating him, he goes, to your point about him, I finally watched him, and I watched him in the pocket, and his pocket play is like is unbelievably good like so underrated nobody uh, it's like shocking how good his pocket play is so when nfl scout types are shocked by the players work in the pocket you have to think that extends to the receivers not expecting it and one of the things boykin said was i just didn't expect him to throw the ball at some of these points because (laughs) He it looked like he was dead to rights, and somehow the ball just came out in a split second at a point where I was about to turn up field. So I could see how some of the stats may not, the context behind some of the, the stats, and it may not be a great uh, a full-on correlation or may not even correlate to a level that's statistically relevant. But, you know, anecdotally, you can yeah. see evidence that some of this has to do with, for sure, Jackson's accuracy, some of it has to do with his rapport with his receivers and that he is so great in the middle of the pocket in a tight area, better than most, that even his receivers who are young just didn't yeah. count on that being the case. Well, to your point, like his grade, you know, from a clean pocket, he was graded 10 out of 35. Under pressure, he was number one out of 35 quarterbacks in the league. Turnover worthy plays number one out of 35. So even though he may have had, you know, some accuracy, you know, hiccups along the way, he was still completing a high percentage of his passes. He wasn't turning the ball over. And oh, by the way, his positive, you know, his big time throws, which, you know, were basically, you know, the throw, these are, this is where you kind of start to separate some of the things that the great quarterbacks can do versus not, you know, he's seven out of 35. You know, so, I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of, you know, honestly, you're kind of nitpicking, you know, the guy to, to, I mean, because it's working what I think, yeah, there's, uh, there is a caution. Does his, you know, accuracy need to improve probably, but to your point, there could be a lot of factors going into that. 
Um, I think the other component of that is he's still a young player that's going to, you know, be improving. It's not like his accuracy is horrendous, you know, based on, you know, all the data that I'm seeing, you know, I think, you know, there's some good points and some bad points about it, but with his decision-making and everything that he has, and he's so calm and collected. And to your point, it doesn't take big hits when he runs. And, And there's so many things, you know, to love about Lamar Jackson. It's just, you know, it's it's hard to let anything really just drag you down too much you know as far as you know what i've got him projected for um i've got him playing every game i'm not i'm not worried about it there's some actually pretty good data i'll have to find it and i'll I'll have to send it over to you but someone had recently done a i can't remember who did this now i feel bad because i should be mentioning them on the on the podcast but we'll we'll come back to it another time but um quarterbacks that run really aren't any more at risk than quarterbacks that don't and this is this has been an anecdotal film point that I know that guys like Emory Hunt and Brandon Howard, um, who have talked about for years and years, because when you run, you're in more control and you're taking more effect active action, and you're not at risk for bad angled hits. And especially if you're a fast, athletic quarterback, if you're Trent Green, well, sure, you're going to slide into an oncoming 250 pound linebacker and get your bell rung and be out for like, um, you know, out for for years, you know, or because if you're, you're, if you're just RG3, not that yeah, you, If you're RG three, you just don't know how to slide, and you yes. hurt your knee on a slide. Yes, but if you're but if you're a quarterback who's coordinated and who can actually change direction and see the field, you're like a runner, you know, like a running back. So. But if you're if you're just an immobile pocket quarterback who occasionally ran, or you just stay in there like Carson Palmer, yeah, you're going to get your knee imploded. You know, I mean that's that those things are more likely to happen because of the odd angles. So it's it's good to see studies like that kind of mirroring what you can see anecdotally and and con- yeah. validating that. I think I think what will be interesting is as we continue to get more data around the years now where quarterbacks have been so extremely protected, which has been an active, it's like an endangered species, you know, the they keep getting more aggressive, you know, with the quarterback protection rules, you know, all the time. Obviously player safety overall period, you know, they're trying to do more with, you know, outside of the whole COVID-19 thing. Anyway, I won't take you down that path, Matt. <laughs> but um, as far as, Slowly you know, turn. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as it will be interesting to see, you know, do they actually end up being in a slightly more harm leaving the pocket just because of how protected they are? That's kind of one of the questions remaining because, you know, we're still kind of, I wouldn't say early, but it's, you know, there's definitely some rules that have gone into effect in the last, you know, six, seven years. So anyway, overall, though, it doesn't seem to be an issue. But for Jackson, I've got him at 7.5 yards an attempt. I've got him at 64% completion rate. Um, so that is 3,690 yards. I've got him at a touchdown um, rate of 5.5%. So that's 27 passing touchdowns. And again, Last year, what he did on the passing touchdowns was amazing. If there's any part of his game that I think, you know, could come back, you know, to earth. And it didn't necessarily just because of him. It's just because of, like, how well it went last year, yeah, right? Yeah, Um, It's like, you know, it's somewhere, you know, and again, I, it's, it's not – I don't want to come on here and just talk all about regression, but it is real. I mean, and if you look at, you know, the amount of passes he's likely to throw – based on the way we think these game scripts are going to go, me looking at that 48-52, I mean, 27 touchdowns is still a lot of touchdown passes for somebody, you know, uh, you know, with, with uh, 492 attempts. You know, 5.5% is very healthy. Now, if he does it again this year, I could consider him to be more like a, a Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson has been over 6% 
every year of his career except one year and that's insane that's that's elite most quarterbacks love to have two years like that in their whole career or career and russell wilson does it every single year so lamar jackson you know if he continues to progress maybe i'll think a little differently about that next year but 5.5 percent is still really high it's above i'm staring at my board right now with everyone that i have projected he's still the highest person in my view besides Dak prescott who i also have at a five and a half percent and i have mahomes at six and a half so i mean he's still right there he's one of my top five guys as far as touchdowns per attempt um, interceptions i've got him at seven then i've got him with 165 rushing attempts at five and a half yards per carry for 908 yards i have him at six rushing touchdowns so if you are a fantasy player that's 375 points that still comes out right there i've got he and Dak prescott and mahomes uh all i've got prescott at 360 i've got mahomes at 372 and i've got lamar jackson at 375 so i've got them all right there together um he does also you know have to your point weapons that are going to be getting better so i try to consider that as, as well when i think about his touchdowns you know he's like you said playing with a lot of young players now you get another year with boykin you get hollywood brown healthy you add duvernay um, i mean there's potential that you know his weapons are even better than they were last year yeah i love it i mean i have jackson mahomes and watson all within the same tier at the very top jackson has the most points for me um because i've because I do my rankings a little bit differently for football guys, I actually um, bake in like a number to like lower their fantasy value so that I can just use my projections for my rankings. <laughs> so I don't remember what my actual total is in terms of the in terms of that my adjusted totals are are about 70 points lower, I think, so that I can fit those quarterbacks within a range. Um, but yeah, Jackson's my top point scorer in, in fantasy football, if you're just going to look at it overall. Um, so yeah, I'm with you there. You know, the talking about these receivers, I mean, this, this is the fascinating, this is the area for growth, you know, for this team is Jackson and the receivers. Yeah. Can he throw more outside? Do they want him to even throw more outside? Um, with some of those power throws? Probably not. I mean, I don't think, I mean, Deshaun Watson isn't going to change at this point. I doubt that they're going to ask Lamar Jackson to change too much in that area either. I think they're going to continue to try and do what they do and force teams to stop them, and they'll find other ways to win rather than like the power throws, like the curls and the comebacks and the deep outs. Um, but that said, you know, you look at this team, I, I look at a guy like Willie Sneed, I still think he's a somewhat of a factor, but not a fantasy factor. I think 23 targets, 16 catches, 169 yards for a, and a few touchdowns because he's a smart red zone player. They scheme him open. He knows what to do. He can make some contested plays occasionally for a, a, a smaller, slower guy with some good short area quickness. So, you know, not a big time factor in terms of fantasy but still a factor on the team at least early on chris moore not much of a factor i'm not even going to talk about his his production at this point even though if someone gets hurt he could factor in greatly because he's a good uh deep ball player who can win contested um catches and has the trust of jackson at least from two years ago and some last year miles boykin how much can he improve this is where it's like he has, he might, he, I would say he has theoretical upside, but I don't know if practically that's actually there. So like, I still love his talent, but I think he got matched to the wrong team. 
And I think that he's a second contract somewhere else player who will need an injury with that somewhere else place for him to actually prove he's he's more than, you know, because he's going to get labeled. He's going to get labeled by the time he gets out of here and you're not going to see the, the best of him. But I have met 33 targets, 23 catches, 350 yards for 15 yards of catch and four touchdowns. Again, not fantasy value at all um, for this guy. But in theory, if they if they start expanding a little bit more with him or he improves a little bit more in the middle because they need to they're going to need to throw to these receivers a little bit more often than than the second tight end maybe you could see Miles Boykin at best double those numbers so maybe now you're looking at a 66 catch 46 or i mean a 46 catch season maybe 700 yards maybe 6 to 8 scores if he becomes more like the de facto second tight end in terms of what the role was last year even though it's from a different position i'm not counting on that devin duvernay is the most interesting player on this board if you ask me because duvernay has the speed to play outside he's better against press than what i think people characterize him to be he didn't drop a ball until like like a month into um his senior year at at texas so he's like sure-handed um he he can win the acrobatic plays and they used him in the backfield often in the red zone at Texas to run the ball. Like they literally had him run and he was, cause he was a good high school running back and he showed it like he showed he could run between the tackles, especially from spread sets. So why wouldn't you spread the field with Devin Duvernay in the backfield to confuse this team and you can run option you can hand him the ball and he's going to, and they're going to say, yeah, whatever. We're not covering that guy out of the backfield. And then he, he gashes them for a 10 yard score, you know, and they're, and the film, they look at that film, you know, the team, next few teams that look at the film go, well, we're going to have to account for this guy because he's been running the, he's had three touchdowns in the past month, you know, and now we're going to have to do more with him. But imagine him running bullet routes out of the, the backfield with his track speed. Imagine him, you know, running, you know, getting matched up against linebackers and safeties as the running back or splitting him out into the slot because of, you know, where he was and he's in the backfield with Mark Ingram or J.K. Dobbins and doing some of these things they can do imaginatively where he's technically not a, a running back or a tight end, but he's getting put in spots where he might as well be the tight end detached from the field, from the, the formation, just like they did with Hayden Hurst or just like um, Mark Andrews. The difference is, is the origination point is different, but where he ends up ultimately lining up before the ball is snapped will be the same place. So you can see how they can window dress some of the same stuff, but just take Duvernay and go... Let's make the defense account for him as a running back, then move him to where we where we put Hurst in the past or Andrews in the past. And now they're screwed because his speed is like a, a blatant mismatch and they're going to have to call a timeout or they're going to have to live with the consequences. And, so, and they're going to live with the consequences at times. So Duvernay, to me right now, I'm conservative with them. I have him at 25 targets, 15 catches, 170 yards for 11 yards per catch for two touchdowns and 10 rushes for 47 yards and a touchdown. Um, 
not fantasy value numbers, but he's a guy I'm targeting in the last round of drafts. I'm targeting him in the mid rounds of dynasty drafts. It's like, I can't seem to get my hands on all the receivers. I really want at the top of drafts and dynasty leagues. I wonder why that is, but, (laughs) but, but Duvernay is a guy that I'm getting in every draft because no matter what I say and how much I like about him, nobody, everybody sees him with the Ravens and nobody wants him at the range that he's a bargain. So I'm getting him. So then you get to Marquise Brown and to me, Marquise Brown is the guy I've got him at 98 targets, 59 catches, 797 yards and seven touchdowns, and about four rushes for 61 yards and a touchdown. So I'm expecting, you know, the biggest season from Brown, um, more touchdown dependent for him to really be in that upper echelon of wide receiver three, wide receiver two for fantasy, but um, capable of doing that because we're going to see, I think, a better Marquise Brown than last year, at least in terms of physicality, explosion, um, understanding of the offense, versatility. And I think he's going to be even more wide open than he was last year in certain on certain types of looks or be more effective. So the hidden upside is really with Miles Boykin and, and mostly Devin Duvernay. If, to me, Devin Duvernay, if he can adjust quickly... And the team seems to love him. And they and he kind of had that attitude. You know, this is more Sigmund Bloom narrative street that I like to make fun of. And I, I make fun <laughs> of Bloom with this to his face on shows, if you listen to us, you know. And he makes fun of himself as the mayor of narrative street. If you're going to go narrative street, well, the last time I went narrative street, it was Mike Thomas after he got drafted. And it was Cardale Jones telling the media, listen, that dude's going to be calling up Drew Brees. Like he probably called up Drew Brees 10 minutes ago and told him, get ready for me to be like attached to you. Because when I took over the Ohio state job, Michael Thomas attached himself to me and was like, you know, asking every question in the book to make sure we were on the same page and, and would not, and was like my best friend, whether I wanted him to be or not to make sure that he had rapport with me. And he did the same thing with breeze. Like when he, in, on Twitter, you could literally say, let's, I said, I'm, I, I need your, basically it was essentially, I need your contact information. Let's get to work. Like literally five minutes after he was drafted, Devin Duvernay, the, the coaches commented that Duvernay was already asking about the playbook and when he was going to get it. Like it was like his first question. It was like one of the first things he said when they talked to him on the phone. It wasn't like, I'm so glad I'm going to buy my mama house, start crying, all that stuff that players deservedly get to do after such a wonderful event. He's more like, when, when do I get the playbook so that I can get to work? And they loved his serious approach to the game. And if it's anything like even half as good as Michael Thomas, we might see a guy here who could give us 500 to 800 total yards in this offense as a combined runner and receiver in that Danny Woodhead role that they, when they had Woodhead um, after he was at with the Chargers for a while. Yeah, man, I, I love the talk, you know, on Duvernay. And, and I'm, I, I get where you're coming from, you know, as well. It's like, you know, the, talking about this as a real NFL offense, you know, versus, you know, some folks are listening to this, you know, for fantasy as a real NFL offense, I just love the mixture that this team has created. You know, DuVernay is just another great example to your point. And, and, you know, like I was talking about earlier, Hayden Hurst moving on, 
you may see a little bit less of 12 personnel. You're definitely not going to see, you know, 13, you know, personnel, you know, a ton. Um, you know, you could see a little bit less of some of those heavier sets. And to your point, what we could see is Duvernay moving around inside, detached, like you said, from the formation, but getting to intact those in, in those those inner areas of the field where he creates huge mismatches, to your point. Whether it's a safety coming down to have to take him or it's a linebacker or it's a zone coverage where, you know, he's splitting between them. And if he can get on the same page, you know, with Lamar Jackson, there's definite I think for dynasty players, there's definitely, to your point, upside because we know where Lamar Jackson's really good is in the middle of the field. And there's there's room to have two guys doing that. You could have Andrews and you could have Duvernay doing that. So, you know, right now, um, I'll go ahead and throw the tight ends with mine. Good. In, so you can come back and circle, you know, back to the tight ends. I've got Mark Andrews as the number one, you know, target, you know, on the team. I think the thing to mention you know, here with Andrews, it's interesting too, you know, as he limped through most of last year, Matt, I mean, he had foot, shoulder, knee, ankle, um, you know, he was questionable in week two, three, four, six, 15, the wild card game. He was out week 17, you know? So, I mean, he, he was basically battling through injuries and he was a player that, you know, his routes per drop back. So that's the number of times, you know, the players in a route, when the team's actually trying, you know, to pass the ball, uh, you know, they were lower than what you would expect, right. From a, from a, you know, normal tight end, you know, his snaps, you know, they were, they were trying, you know, to protect him, you know, as well last year, his snaps. I mean, he averaged 44% of the snaps, um, you know, per game, you know, if you take out the games he missed, he was right around, you know, a 50% of snaps. Um, so he, his routes per, you know, drop back was a little bit higher than that. He was at 61%, you know, um, if you take out the weeks where, you know, he was injured, um, it's also a little bit higher than that. But I think there's a real chance for Andrews this year now that you don't have Hayden Hurst as the third guy rotating in. Nick Boyle is still going to be out there plenty for 12 personnel, but Hayden Hurst is leaving behind 41% of uh, the routes per drop back. So I think it's easy to think that Mark Andrews, if healthy, he could easily see 70 to 80% routes per drop back, more like what you would see, you know, from a, from a normal, you know, tight end. Um, they clearly want him on the field, you know, when they're in games where they're, uh, you know, competitive and those games, you'll see his routes per drop back spike. There are a lot of games where they just didn't have to do it and he was hurt. So I don't think they wanted to force it. And, and that was part of the deal. So I think a lot of people forget that. And he still did what he did last year, despite all of that. So he still accounted for 22%, you know, of the targets. He averaged 24% per game. If you get rid of the games where he had to leave earlier or he missed the game, um, you know, I just, I have a hard time seeing him going backwards. Yeah, I think the touchdowns, you know, could be a little bit of a problem, but I have him at 123 uh when I say problem, I mean, he scored so many last year, <laughs> um, but he had him 123 targets, 25%, you know, of the target share. I have him at 80 receptions, 1,039 yards and eight touchdowns. So that squarely puts him in my top, you know, for the top four tight ends that I'm willing to take. If I'm a fantasy drafter, I've got, you know, Kelsey Kittle, then you've got Andrews and you've got Ertz. And I think he deserves to be right there because if he, he, he has a chance to even do more than what I have here. And he's clearly shown to have the rapport, you know, with Lamar Jackson. So that's my number one target. Number two on the team, I've got Marquise Brown. Um, you know, Brown's another guy, like you said, he was not, he was not well. He got, he, he was hurt coming in. He battled injuries in camp. Um, he missed part of week five. He missed part of week six. He missed part of week seven. He was listed as questionable in week nine. He had foot, hip, ankle. He missed two games for illness. Um, you know, the ankle really plagued him from week nine on. And they took um, him so out he, during blowouts. 
Yeah, and they took it exactly. They did the same thing. It's like they didn't they didn't have to have him or Mark Andrews in a lot of these blowouts, and with them being gimpy, you know, there's a lot that could change. If all of a sudden the game scripts are more competitive and they're both healthy, these guys could explode in roles. Like I think there's a lot of room. There's meat, you know, on the bone. Now you still have an offense that's going to run the ball more than it's going to throw it, you know, but you know, they're going to run quite a few plays. So, I mean, there will be limitations as far as fantasy owners. You can't expect, you know, they're not going to throw the ball 600 times. Like, so you're not going to get the same number of targets you would expect, you know, like what you may see with the Steelers or some of these other teams, but the efficiency is so strong and I don't see the efficiency. I see the efficiency coming down to earth some, but I don't see it as being, oh my gosh, all of a sudden Baltimore's completely figured out and nobody knows what to do. I think there are elements to Marquise Brown's game that we just still haven't even seen. And so I, I'm excited about him. I've got him as the number two target with 21% of the targets. That's 103 targets, 67 catches. I've got him at 13.5 yards per catch. And again, that's I want your thoughts there because I was a little torn on that number because I know he can do more than that, but I, they were using him in certain ways last year based on what I think he could do based on his health at the time. That's the same and figure so, I have. Okay. So I just, yeah. but I know there's room for that to be a 15, <laughs> you know, Me there's too. room for that to be a 16. So I feel like that's another area there's upside. So I've got him at, you know, 67 catches for 907 yards and I've got him at seven touchdowns. And so, I mean, if, if, if you're somebody, you know, if you're a fantasy player, I think his ceiling is to be inside the top 24, his floor is the top 48. Um, right now, his average draft position is wide receiver 30. So he's pretty fairly priced, but I'm very comfortable, you know, taking him there because I think if he's healthy, he's much more likely to be approaching that wide receiver 24 and sneaking inside, um, you know, than to be outside of it. You are going to have to deal with some of the blowouts. You're going to have to deal with, do they need them? But, you know, we saw blowouts last year, Matt, when he was healthy week one. What, how many touchdowns did he score against the Dolphins? Now again, he didn't. He right. didn't even have to play that many snaps that game. That's that game. He was hardly even on the field. Uh, he only ran a route on twenty nine percent. Or you the Bengals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or what he does, he can do to some of these other teams. So, anyway, uh, I've got Brown as the second. I do have Boykin as my third, and I have him at fourteen percent. Um, I've got him at sixty nine targets, forty catches, fifteen and a half. Uh, yards per per catch but I do have him to your point I've got his catch rate at 57.5 where I've got Marquise Brown at a 65% catch rate and part of it is where Lamar Jackson struggled was outside and beyond the 10 yard which is what we saw on film last year in preseason those were the places he still struggled last year and those are the areas that Boykin's going to be operating more often now if they to your point, change his role and move him around a little bit more. I think there's there's room for more, but I still gave him 14%. Um, I think he's still the, the, the third target on the team. Um, and then I actually have Nick Boyle at 10%, and then I've got Devin du DuVernay at 9%, and then I have Willie, Willie Sneed at 5%. I guess I read a lot of the same things you read after the uh, Ravens drafted DuVernay, and I just couldn't help but like getting excited about him. That uh, it, it may not equal a lot in fantasy, you know, for this year, but I wouldn't be surprised that if it ends up being, you know, a little more than we think. I could see him taking more away from Nick Boyle. I could see him taking more away from Willie Sneed. I could see him eating into Miles Boykin, you know. So, uh, I mean, right now I've got him at 9%. That's 44 targets. 27 catches, 10 and a half yards per catch. That's 280 receiving yards. Um, I'm similar. I don't know how many rushing. I think you had him at a few more rushing attempts, but I did give him um, based off of what I was reading, you know, I gave him three attempts, you know, for 20 yards, but yeah, they could easily be 10 for, you know, a hundred um, in this offense with the things that they can do. Um, so 
again, not probably super fantasy relevant this year, but if you're a dynasty player, I'm very similar to you. If I can get my hands on him uh, and I can do it at, at a discount, I, I think it's a good move um, because here's the other thing. Uh, what happens if Mark Andrews does get hurt and goes down? Nick Boyle's not all of a sudden going to become a focal point. I think in that case, <laughs> Unless he's right? a jet back to his ass. I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, he, yeah, he'll, he may pick up a few percentage points in target share, but that's where I see if that were to happen. Oh my gosh. What might that do for Duvernay? Because it's in a scheme that's very friendly, you know, to, to creating space for players um, because of all the, the ways they can attack you that defenses have to think about. So I think there's, you know, if, if, that, if something like that happens and you're in a, a deeper league, you know, in fantasy and Duvernay's on the waiver wire and and, my, and Mark Andrews is going down and everybody else is racing to the wire for Nick Boyle, I think everything Matt just shared with you is a good reason you may want to be contrarian to that and say, you know what, I'm going to sneak over here and grab Devin Duvernay for like $2, yeah, you know, of my free agent budget. Yeah, because at worst, at, at, at worst, that what's going to happen is, they're gonna you're gonna get a second chance to grab a tight end because if Mark Andrews goes down, they are looking for a tight end <laughs> who's yes. off the street who can catch. Like they will be scouring or making a trade because they they need it. And if you best believe the two tight end offense they had last year and what they they can do, you can best believe that Bill Belichick is basically has Ravens offense tape up all winter long <laughs> he's watching it right now yeah because they destroyed him in on monday night and he knows oh, yeah. it and he said it and he loves what the types of things they do so you, you can just look at daniel jeremiah's move the sticks podcast and where he i think he on twitter he shared some write-ups of notes that he got from belichick in cleveland um when belichick talked about what he looks for when he scouts players and when you read the offensive players, I mean, other than the quarterback and really even like the quarterback to an extent, other than that, pretty much what he's describing is personnel that could play well in a Baltimore offense. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, you know, that's fascinating. As far as tight ends go, listen, I like where you're coming from here. And I think I'm going to have to probably tamp down on Jackson's runs a little bit after what we've talked about and, up him his passing yardage a bit and that means giving mark andrews a little more love like i haven't met i didn't factor in all that time that he missed as well as i should have i've met 100 targets 64 catches so he's got about 23 percent of the target share of what i've totally given to jackson right now 64 catches 852 yards for 13.3 yards per catch and 10 touchdowns i still have him being a big touchdown guy in this offense um nick boyle 44 targets 31 catches 321 yards and two touchdowns just because it's exactly the same yeah see there <laughs> he'll you be go. out there and people are not going to ignore him because no. everybody else so yeah. it's like there will be check downs to this guy yeah i mean he's the cleanup crew and it's like the the shop's empty and he can run that broom all up and down the aisle without anybody getting in his way so he's fine um and breland I'm not even, listen, I mean, 18 targets, eight catches, 72 yards, if he makes the team, okay? Like, he's like, he's like UDFA Heath Miller, okay? In terms of like, 
I don't even I I don't even want to mention Heath Miller in terms of Jacob Breland. <laughs> Jacob Breland is a more buff Jason Wood. That's what he looks like, basically. <laughs> um, you know, when you look at him with his helmet off. So Jason Wood catch. <laughs> Jason, yeah, I don't know. Jason might be able to catch. So we can call him up and see. I'm not. I'm sure it's just around the corner from him to. You know, Baltimore's not that far if he's already heading over to to Philadelphia. So, but yeah. Um. So that's the. That's the Ravens' passing offense. Let's let's cover the rushing offense because obviously that's a that's you know somewhere between fifty to fifty seven percent of the uh, the the <laughs> offense at this point. And you know, listen, Mark Ingram. I there's three ways you can look at this, um, or four. J.K. Dobbins gets hurt or falters, and Ingram remains the guy, and he has he has similar year. Um, similar year to last year, which was a career year, because he's an excellent runner, great decision maker, good between the tackles, great pad level, nice movement in terms of shiftiness to be able to make the first man miss. Really experienced guy, decent receiver for what you need him to be. Fine. The other option is um, Ingram starts off the year as the main guy, and J.K. Dobbins ends up being. Um, taking over midseason as the main guy and Ingram is basically a contributor who gets they flip-flop the role um, or the you know the third option is that Dobbins just overtakes Ingram early I don't think that's likely to happen just because he needs to get experience as a pass protector understand the, re- the receiving game a little bit more so I doubt that that's going to happen the more likely thing is either Ingram starts off as the main guy and they start to flip-flop and where Dobbins then turns into mid-guy mid-year or it's a fairly even split. Um, um, and, and the fourth option is that it just remains kind of like Devin Singletary, Frank Gore last year where you know Mark Ingram gets basically two-thirds of the, of the meaningful touches um, and then Dobbins gets one third of the meaningful touches. You know, so those are the types of combinations you're looking at. Conservatively, right now, I or I would say the best the the thing that's likely to happen with Ingram that I talked about in an article this week was um, for football guys that's out this week is Ingram averaged 15 touches per game. He averaged about 0.96 points per touch. So if you're going to use the 0.96 yards per touch. As a, as a factor to maintain a steady, which, you know, I think in this offense is reasonable enough to maybe do. Um, I think you could reasonably say that Ingram's going to have to give up five touches per game to, to J.K. Dobbins, conservatively, if Dobbins plays reasonably well. Um, so if at conservatively, Ingram drops from being like a top 15 back to being like a you know, a guy that's your running back two or running back three, uh, you know, unless you expect him to have massive touchdowns and he becomes the the touchdown vulture in this offense, which could happen. But I think you're going to see more of a split in the red zone. So I've got Ingram at 200 attempts, 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns rushing, um, averaging five yards per attempt. Um, 4% of his attempts were going to be touchdowns. Um, I have him at 36 targets for 25 receptions and 200 yards, eight yards per catch, and a score. Um, you know, 
that puts him at a 211 PPR points, which, you know, when you look at Ingram at that point, I have him, you know, fairly lower than where he was last year, but still, you know, the 23rd ranked back. I just see him fading as the season goes along a bit in terms of his weekly outputs. Dobbins is the guy with the hidden ceiling, whereas, you know, Ingram has the hidden floor. Dobbins, I have at 95 attempts for 475 yards, also at five yards per attempt, and two touchdowns. I think I'm under, I think I'm underestimating his touchdown potential because whereas Mark Ingram is a is a slightly faster version of Jordan Howard, J.K. Dobbins is a guy that outruns secondary players and gets the corner with ease. J.K. Dobbins has some of that Ladanian Tomlinson type of um, skill to his bag in terms of what he does um, he's kind of a mix to me between Ray Rice and LaDainian Tomlinson he, like if there was a link between the two he'd be that bridge in terms of ability and that's a high compliment so you know Dobbins at two touchdowns shoot that could be four or five just because defenses get confused on a play and he gets an alley and he's in the secondary before um, anybody can get an angle on him and that dude will be gone. Um, I have him at eight targets for seven catches, 65 yards and a touchdown. Not a huge factor in the receiving game right now, only because I'm playing it conservative. This guy could easily, if Mark Ingram gets hurt or Dobbins just looks plays as well as he did the way he looked to me on tape, J.K. Dobbins could easily have 150 uh, of the carries this year out of the 300 to you know or more. And I also am not. I've also basically overestimated or was conservative and probably overestimated how much Gus Edwards and Justin Justice Hill might get because they're talking about Gus Hill being on Gus um, Edwards being on the bubble. I have Gus Edwards at 66 attempts for 320 yards and two touchdowns and 14 targets for eight catches, 72 yards. That could easily end up in Josh Dobbins' lap right there, and now you're looking at 161 carries, you know, um, 795 yards, four touchdowns, 22, you know, targets, 15 catches, 135 yards receiving, you know. Now you're looking at a guy who's got close to 1,000 yards from scrimmage as a rookie. Justice Hill? 29, 121 get touchdown, 20 targets, 11 catches, 94 yards. He's going to be looking for another team soon. Yeah. Uh, here's my thoughts. I I think you have to move Dobbins, you know, up. I, I agree. I, I take – here's the scenario I see. I think marking rooms on the last year of his deal, it's going to be – he's a really good player – does J.K. Dobbins have more upside? Yes. But Ingram's the veteran. He still doesn't have a ton of mileage for a back that's been in the league as long as he is. So maybe that's the bonus of all those years, right, with New Orleans. He never had 300 carry seasons. Like He had 200 carry seasons, you know. So, I mean, we're talking about a guy with 1,500 carries on his body, you know, in basically, you know, nine years or of play. Um, so he's still healthy. And I think he stays the one, but where I differ than you is – man, I gave J.K. Dobbins all of Gus Edwards and more because I just don't see, and I like Gus Edwards, I just don't, when the team spends the second round pick on Dobbins, unless he really comes out and falls on his face, I don't see how Gus Edwards has a role. They're not going to carry four of those guys active. 
I think they like Justice Hill as a guy that could do a little something in the passing game, um, you know, which, which, you know, Dobbins could also help there, right? I mean, you've talked about Dobbins as a receiver, but, you know, that's where Hill could add something. And uh, Edwards and Dobbins and Ingram seem to be more duplicative. So to me, I mean, you could have Ingram, Dobbins, and Hill, or is it Ingram, Edwards, and Hill? Now, I guess what could happen, Matt, is Dobbins maybe is inactive two or three games, right? And Edwards starts off the season as the two. And then Dobbins overtakes Edwards. So in that case, maybe it works out more like you have. But what I did is I actually gave, you know, Edwards has been 22% roughly, you know, of the carry. He was 22% last year, the year before. Uh, he was 26%, you know, of the team attempts. I gave Dobbins 27.5%, and I gave Mark Ingram 35%, you know, of the carries on the nice. team. So I've got Ingram at 187 attempts. I've got Dobbins at 147. So I don't have quite quite at that even split, but more that it's getting more little. If I were to pick a scenario you talked about, that's the one I see it approaching. And the reason why is I just think, you know, as good as Dobbins can be, it's, I mean, Mark Ingram was still really good last year. It's kind of hard to be like, Hey dude, <laughs> you're going to have to take the bench when you, you know, you're averaging over three yards after contact all last, you know, the last six years of your career, you did it again for us. Like you said, you can make people miss at the second level. He doesn't have the gear that Dobbins has, but he's still good enough. And they're going to depend on him in other scenarios because he's the veteran and he knows the game, you know? So but to your point, I do think that the upside is if Mark Ingram goes down, J.K. Dobbins could win your league. Yes. If you're a fantasy player. Now, the Ravens do love to rotate players. Is there a chance that Gus Edwards then th- then turns into the old J.K. Dobbins? J.K. Dobbins becomes the Mark Ingram? Yeah. But with as much upside as you see and J.C.'s and Dobbins, even at that point, you know, I still think Dobbins is a potential league winner. The problem you're going to have in fantasy is – especially if you're in sharp drafts, people are on to it. They're already drafting him. Basically, they go within a few picks of each other. Yeah, he's, this is goes, like Larry Johnson, Priest Holmes, like yes, way back in the day. Yes, that's exactly like that. And so you can't be buying Dobbins to start. But if you want to pay to get him, I don't blame people. But you you need to be thinking about your roster construction. Same thing with Kareem Hunt. People are taking those two guys right there. Don't take either one of those players expecting them to start for you in your first few games let it play out you need to circle back around and do something else with your roster it's fine to grab them there just don't make the mistake some people do oh because i took him in the sixth round i'm putting him in my starting lineup week one no you're making an investment that you're going to give time to pay off because you know the upside's so huge and that's why it cost you a six round pick not because he's going to be in your starting lineup week one so just if you're a fantasy player just think about that so if you want to take dobbins it is going to cost you and i think there's strategies you can deploy to make it work and, and so you can see what's going to happen. And, if, and if Mark, like, like Matt said, Mark Ingram goes down. I mean, pff, I mean, it, it's ball game. But I, I think that, you know, 150 attempts for Dobbins, 190 attempts for Ingram right in there. I've got them both at four and a half yards per carry. I got no issues with five in this offense. Uh, you know, this is just me doing my, you know, sure. some of my regression stuff. But I've got seven and a half touchdowns for Ingram. I've got 5.3 for Dobbins. I've got them basically split as far as targets, 6% to Ingram, 5% to Dobbins. Um, I've got, so that's 22 catches for Ingram, 18 for Dobbins, 177 yards for Ingram, 140 yards for Dobbins. I've got them both with a touchdown and a half receiving, uh, touchdown and a half in the receiving game. So that puts, you know, to your point around Mark Ingram, um, you know, it's interesting. I went back today. I actually had a tweet about this. If you go look at the parameters that Mark Ingram operated within as far as his carries, 
and you know his targets last year he scored five receiving touchdowns matt last year on 26 catches that's not that's not feasible that's not going to happen again uh so you got to kind of take him down a little bit from there um ingram is a guy that's shown over the years on less touches and a good offense he can still put up really good numbers but he was also getting targeted a lot more by the saints you know and you know the last three or four years before uh you know kamara got there so um the way i look at it is is what you said dobbins is still a good investment um i think the upside is huge i think he's going to eat into what mark ingram does and he's going to bring ingram's floor down a little bit i think ingram's still good enough to hold him off but if the injury happens it's you're going to be elated i mean you're going to I mean, and if that's now all of a sudden one of your flex players, oh my gosh, you're gonna you're in a great spot. Yeah, absolutely. So just to end this conversation, uh, you know, on Baltimore, it was a great one. You know, I look at Mark Ingram. If if Ingram is a smart player, or no, I'll put it this way: if he's a wise player, and and it's hard to be wise in your in your early twenties to late 20s early 30s it's still you know there's still a lot to learn in life you know and and they haven't been exposed to a lot of business outside of the business of football and even then they're hyper competitive guys so when they're told that their time is over to being a starter that's hard to hear um or especially when they still feel good and they put up good production but if i'm mark ingram i'd be looking around and going this is my last year do you know with this contract jk dobbins is really darn good but i'd really like to win and i'd like to win a ring do i really want to go somewhere else where i'm the starter for part of the year until the the rookie gets into you know gets gets good enough to overtake me and it's not a very good team or do i want to stick with this team and be like the situational contributor and take a, a pay cut basically, but have a, a get a decent deal and be a part of a, a Super Bowl winning team. I would stay here. And I think the Ravens probably, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Mark Ingram resigns, but ends up having another two, two to three years in probably two, you know, probably two, but you know, two years in Baltimore where he can just kind of be like the backup, the closeout guy, the, the, the guy who can start when needed for injury, but, you know, doesn't have to be the man down in and down out. And I hope he gets to do that. He, he decides to do that um, when his time, his contract is up in Baltimore. So you, know, you can follow Dwayne's work at PFF. You can follow him at Dwayne McFarland on Twitter. He's awesome. And of course you can find me at Matt Waldman. And um, I got a lot of stuff coming out that my RSP readers I've gotten a first look at in terms of um, the rookie wide receiver class um, and videos that you're going to enjoy on YouTube. So you can check out my RSP channel, Matt Woman's RSP Film Room. Subscribe to that. I think you'll find uh, wonderful content on there that'll help you learn about the game and get an edge also in fantasy. So thanks again, everyone. Have a great week.